Hello, crime family. Welcome back. Today we are giving you a bonus episode. This is a Just One B. And it's mama-centric. It is bath-centric, because that starts with B. Mama-beth-centric, yes. (laughs) Okay. And I am Beth. And I'm Bailey. And if you're listening to a bonus episode, you might already be aware of that, but let's just not leave anything to chance. Yeah, you never know who's tuning in for the first time, so. You know what, I had a weird, well, I told you I had a lot of weird experiences last night, because the cat kept jumping on me and meowing at me in the middle of the night. Yeah. But... One of the times that she woke me up, because right now on Instagram we have, I don't know, like a thousand and thirty followers yeah, roughly. Mm-hmm. I woke up and I had just had this dream that we had 118 followers on Instagram and we were starting all over again with all the work we've done to try to promote and try to get our, our mm-hmm. name out and get our episodes out. And I woke up and I was so disappointed. I'm like, oh my God, we have to just do it all over again. Yeah. <laughs> on the bright side, we have tons of friends like can help us out at least now we're not starting from the bare bottom <laughs> that's true we do have a lot of our really... friends would get them back for us <laughs> they would they would try their best <laughs> if 900 people just suddenly unfollowed us that would be very disappointing <laughs> <laughs> i think at that point we just call it quits because they were like because you talk too damn much at the beginning and you're just one bees <laughs> all right so should we just jump in yeah i'm ready whenever you are okay this was a pretty widely reported story at the time that it happened and it's pretty gruesome i'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail about the gruesome part of it because it's Mm -hmm. just it's almost violence porn so i'm just not going to do that but i will tell you what happened and to whom okay all right so bruce pardo was born march the 23rd 1963 people considered him to be very nice sociable quiet very intelligent a likable enough guy he was an usher at his catholic church he graduated from john h francis polytechnic high school in sun valley california and when he went on to college he completed both a bachelor of science and a master's of science in electrical engineering so he was a very very nice. smart guy yeah he went on to work in nasa's jet propulsion laboratory during the 80s and 90s and then after he left there he also worked at some other jobs as a software engineer and an electrical engineer wow okay Around 1999, Bruce and his then-girlfriend had a son together. One day, while Bruce was home alone with his son, the child had a terrible swimming pool accident. Mm -hmm. And I can't find any clarity as to whether it was a near drowning or an impact injury where he hit his head on the pool or something. Mm -hmm. But the little boy sustained a serious brain injury, and he was left with brain damage that was diagnosed to be a lifelong disability for the child. Bruce was subsequently cleared of any wrongdoing related to the swimming pool incident, so no one is saying that he had anything to do with the child being injured. Yeah, it's one of those things you can't watch the kid at all times. Well, I think he was pretty little when this happened, so if you have a little kid out of the pool, you pretty much do have to watch them all the time. Well, that's why in the 90s they didn't have all those rules about you have to have it fenced. I think they had a lot of those rules, but mm-hmm. I don't know what the rules are where he lived. Every zoning code is different. True, true. The tragedy of the son's injury preceded trouble brewing in the relationship, and Bruce soon moved out. When he did, he abandoned the ex-girlfriend and their son without providing any child support or any medical payment assistance. Oh, yeah, I was trying to give him yeah, benefit he benefit ju- there. <laughs> he just bailed. Okay. Bruce just moved forward and went on with his life until 2004 when he met Sylvia Ortega, who was a single mother of three children. Bruce apparently decided that there was no need to tell Sylvia about his own son. Their relationship began to grow and blossom, and on January the 29th, 2006, Bruce and Sylvia got married. 
But it turned out that the two had differences of opinion in the mechanics of constructing a married relationship, which I think is pretty clear from his choice not to tell his new wife about his child. So even when they're married, she has no idea. She didn't at first, no. Wow. Bruce wanted to keep his own privacy, including his son, as well as his own money. They argued because Sylvia wanted to open a joint bank account to share their expenses. Bruce, who earned over 120000 per year, and this was back in 2006, which is even more than that now, mm-hmm. he didn't want to pay anything related to Sylvia's children, and he also expected her to pay her own share of everything, as well as any bills of her own. Sylvia earned about $30,000 a year. But Bruce wanted everything to be half-seas, including their $2,700 a month mortgage, despite his earning four times as much as his wife. So you're starting to get a picture of what kind of guy Bruce is. Yeah, not loving him. Yeah. Another problem arose when Sylvia then discovered the fact that Bruce was claiming his son as a dependent for tax purposes. So she did find out about the son. And then subsequently she discovered that Bruce still provided no support and did nothing at all for this child. Why is his ex-girlfriend not just coming forward and stopping him from doing that? I do not know the answer to that. I didn't find anything about them, and I honestly didn't look for anything about them. After Sylvia found out these two tidbits of information about her husband, this obviously raised questions for her as to his true moral character. And by December of 2007, Sylvia had moved into a separate bedroom from Bruce, and then she asked for a divorce three months later in February of 2008. So they were only married two years before she actually wanted a divorce. Well, that's a long time to be with a narcissistic, selfish person. Yes. In the interim of this divorce petition, Bruce was ordered by the court to pay $1,785 per month in spousal support. But Sylvia had gone back to live with her parents after the divorce, so she really had no expenses. She was using the spousal support to take golf lessons, Las Vegas trips to gamble, bought herself a BMW, and generally was living the good life. It was observed Sylvia's life after the divorce was somewhat extravagant, and no doubt Bruce thought so too. To make matters worse, not long after the spousal support was ordered, Bruce was discovered to have submitted false timesheets at work to increase his compensation and was caught by his employer. He was terminated for cause due to the falsified hours. After losing his job, the spousal support was temporarily discontinued, so he now wasn't having to pay Sylvia the $1,785 per month. Well, at least she wasn't relying on that to pay rent and stuff at that point, it seems. Yeah. So losing that wasn't devastating to her yet, it seems, but... Right. Bruce had also gone into the marriage with about $88,000 of savings that he had previously accumulated, but that didn't last very long with no money coming in, and it was soon almost gone. On December 18th, 2008, the divorce settlement became final. At this time, Bruce was ordered to hand over the couple's dog to Sylvia, return a diamond ring to her, and pay her $10,000, a lump sum, after which he would no longer have the spousal support order, and he would no longer have to pay Sylvia anything every month. Okay. So he could pay her this one amount, and the settlement would be done for good. But Bruce claimed that he didn't have the $10,000 to pay Sylvia. At this point, I'm not clear on whether he had even found a new job or not. Mm-hmm. I only know he was furious about the divorce settlement and he told a friend that he felt like Sylvia had taken him to the cleaners. And maybe she did, but he was an asshole anyway. So it's really hard for me to empathize with him very much. Sylvia's parents, 80-year-old Joseph Ortega and 70-year-old Alicia Ortega, lived in a large house in Covina, California. The house was perfect for large family celebrations. And on Christmas Eve 2008, so this is 10 months, after she requested the divorce and he's been fuming this whole time. Okay. And on Christmas Eve 2008, they invited everyone over to celebrate the holiday. 
At least 25 family members showed up for their Christmas party, and the night was just full of fun and festivity. Everybody was having a great time. Lots of love and laughter. Mm-hmm. The adults were talking and laughing, drinking wine, listening to music. The kids were snacking and laughing and playing video games at the back of the house. Meanwhile, Bruce was stewing and raging, and all of that had given way to planning. When he arrived on the doorstep of the Ortega house at 11.30 p.m. on the night of the Christmas Eve party, he was able to hear the festive sounds coming from inside the house. Christmas music wafted outside. Glasses were clinking. People were laughing. He had come dressed for the occasion in a red Santa suit carrying a large wrapped gift box. Hmm. And when he knocked on the door, eight-year-old Katrina, a niece of Sylvia, bounded down the hall and opened the door. Santa! She happily bubbled. And as she did, Pardo pulled a nine-millimeter semi-automatic handgun out of his costume and shot her in the face. Hmm. Eight years old. Her horrified but quick-thinking mother immediately grabbed her and pulled Katrina and her sister out of the house and went to get Katrina help. I don't even know how you function in a situation like that. I think oh. she totally was going on instinct. My you child is hurt. Yeah. I'm grabbing her. We're mm-hmm. out of here. Because they were right there at the front door. Meanwhile, Pardo pushed his way further into the house and continued shooting at people. He fired indiscriminately at anyone whom he could see. People were screaming and they were running. They were trying to escape the house. And as Pardo continued to shoot people and they were injured, he occasionally stopped to get a better shot, executing some of the fallen family members at close range using one of the other three handguns that he had hidden inside of his Santa costume. At one point... Pardo apparently felt he had done all the damage he would be able to using the handguns, so at that point he decided it was time to pull out the package he had brought. Inside the package, remember he's an engineer, Mm -hmm. was a homemade machine which contained a tank of racing fuel that was attached to an apparatus designed to spray the fuel far and wide. I can't help but think the knowledge of how to build a homemade flamethrower was probably related to his job at the Jet Propulsion Lab of NASA. So, I'm sorry, when you first started explaining it, I thought it was thinking it was a bomb, but it's literally a flamethrower that he can just hold in his hand and... Yeah. His ah. intent was that he was going to spray the fuel everywhere and then he was going to light the match and leave. Okay. He started spraying the fuel everywhere, on the contents, on the house, on people. It is not believed that Pardo anticipated the fuel to be ignited until he had finished spraying it, like I just explained. Yeah. But it was Christmas Eve, it was a party, and there were candles. There was probably a fire in the fireplace. So quickly, after he began spraying it, the room erupted into an inferno. He managed to even burn his own hands and arms with the fuel, and once he saw that the whole house was consumed with flames, he fled back out the front door, back to the rental car, drove out of the neighborhood with his lights off. The result of the massacre was the deaths of nine people in this family. Sylvia Ortega Pardo, age 43, which was Bruce's ex-wife. Alicia Ortega, 70, Sylvia's mother. Joseph Ortega, 80, Sylvia's father. Charles Ortega, 49, and his wife Sherry Ortega, 45. Charles was Sylvia's brother. James Ortega, 51, and his wife, Teresa Ortega, 52. James was also Sylvia's brother. Alicia Ortega Ortiz, 46, Sylvia's sister, and Michael Ortiz, 17, Alicia's son and Sylvia's nephew. Katrina Yusupolsky, the eight-year-old that was shot in the face as soon as Bruce showed up, underwent surgeries and survived. A 16-year-old niece of Sylvia, I didn't find her name and I didn't really look for it because Mm -hmm. she deserves her privacy, was shot in the back and she survived. A 20-year-old niece of Sylvia, also did not look for her name, broke her ankle when she jumped from the second floor to escape the burning house. Mm -hmm. Pardo had wanted everyone associated with Sylvia and her whole family to suffer. In fact, 
Bruce's own mother had also been invited to and planned to attend the Christmas party, but she had become ill and had ended up not going. Bruce was aware that his mother was supposed to be there too, so it's surmisable that he had also intended for his own mother to be one of the victims. He was just pissed that she's still associated with them. I mean, I might be pissed too, but it just seems like he doesn't know how to form connections with people, so that honestly doesn't yeah. surprise me. Yeah, that's a valid me. point. Yeah, it's <sighs> you're just, with me or you're against me. Yeah, it's just it's still mind-boggling, but Jesus. But people that are like this, even if you mm-hmm. are with them, it's never enough. Your loyalty is never enough, and you always have to keep proving it to them over and over and over. and then you make one simple mistake, and it's like, well, you're dead to me now. (laughs) Even if it's not a mistake, even if it's just a mistake in their mind. Yeah. In the early morning hours of December 25th, Bruce, who had himself come away from the fire with third-degree burns on his arms and hands, drove his rented Dodge Caliber 30 miles to his brother's house. His brother was not home. Bruce went inside and shot himself in the head, taking his own life on his brother's couch. He was discovered about 3.30 a.m. In another evil, destructive act, Bruce had parked his rental Dodge, the one he drove to his brother's house in, a block away from the brother's house. He had set a booby trap in the car that would cause it to erupt in flames and detonate from black powder if the car were to be moved. So any kind of movement of the car would cause a fire that would then detonate the black powder that he had in there. That's not even anybody that's done you wrong at this point. He doesn't care. He's just burning the world down. He wants to watch the world burn. This detonation was likely intended to injure or kill first responders or even tow company employees if they were dispatched to return the car to the rental company before Bruce had been named as the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. In a turn of luck, the police recognized that the rented Dodge was rigged and they called out the bomb squad. So the bomb squad detected the booby trap. They shot an incendiary device into the car from a safe distance. The car was completely destroyed in the blaze. But prior to this destruction, it had also been observed that there were at least 200 rounds of ammunition left in the car. So I guess it's luck that he decided to go to his brother's house instead of going to a mall or mm-hmm. a restaurant or another Christmas party just that he saw on the street. That's wild. And- Yeah, and the fact that he went to his brother's house rather than just going back to his own home also raises the second question. He thought he was going to kill his mother at this Christmas party. Mm -hmm. Was he aware that his brother wouldn't be home? Or did he also plan to kill his own brother as part of his, what do you call it, other than a hatred orgy of fire and death? I mean, he just wanted to kill everyone. Yeah. He was angry and he hated everyone. I almost feel like even if he didn't know his brother was going to be out that day, maybe he just went there because he knew the police would be going to his house first. Maybe. Maybe he just wanted to be able to commit suicide in peace or whatever. Possibly so. But it's just still just inconveniencing everybody every horrible way you possibly can. Well, in a second, I'll explain why it's not believed he had intended to commit suicide. Okay. But let me tell you one more thing first. Mm -hmm. Another intended victim also escaped unharmed, and it was just pure luck for him. It was later discovered that a second rental car had been parked in Glendale at the bottom of the driveway of Sylvia's divorce attorney. So the person he blames for the whole divorce debacle, as far as he sees it. This rental car was a Toyota RAV4, was packed with two computers, food, water, a gas can, and a map of Mexico. So it seems as if he was going to kill the attorney, and then it looks like he had been planning to drive down to Mexico. Mm. I wonder where in... It's got to be pretty South California, right? They are in the Pasadena area. Okay. 
All right, yeah, that, that checks. So here are some reasons to believe that he had originally planned to run rather than take his own life. One, he had worn a disguise, although that might have also just been a seasonal way to gain access to the party at the house. Nobody's going to suspect a Santa coming up to the door. But and a guy carrying four handguns and a flamethrower? You're probably going to question that guy. Well, yeah, and if you open the door and it's just a random guy even not holding a handgun, you'd probably be like, we're having a party. Go away, weirdo. But if it's a guy dressed as Santa Claus, of course the children are going to let you in. Of course exactly. they are. You know? Exactly. He also drove rental cars rather than his own car, which he left at home. Mm-hmm. He was driving everywhere with the lights off. So he was trying not to be seen. He had left the getaway car filled with provisions at Sylvia's attorney's house. His body had $17,000 in cash, as well as an airline ticket to Moline, Illinois, wrapped onto his leg using plastic wrap. He had both the packed car and the plane ticket. So it appears either that he was trying to keep his options open in Mm -hmm. case one or the other of those didn't look like it was going to work out, or he might have been setting up a decoy because he had also called a friend in Moline, Illinois to let them know that he might be visiting soon. I wonder if he was trying to get to Canada. Possibly. Okay. There was a layover for the flight that he had purchased mm-hmm. in Minnesota. So Minnesota is right there yeah, next yeah. to Canada. So it's possible yeah. that he may have had that in mind also. If the plane ticket was a decoy, it was probably intended to prevent authorities from looking for him in Mexico if he drove his pack RAV4 down south of the border. Mm -hmm. But he still shot himself, so how do we explain that? I was looking on YouTube. There's a guy named Dr. Todd Grande, and he has a channel. I think he's a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And he theorizes, based on the information available, that Bruce had not anticipated the third-degree burns that he got during the massacre. Obviously, he didn't plan to set his own hands on fire. Mm And that once he was so badly injured, he really didn't feel like he had a choice except to change his plans. Traveling with third-degree burns on your hands, that's going to be agonizing. Yeah, especially driving. Yeah, driving. And then also, if he were in an airport with these terrible untreated burns, that's going to attract attention. Yeah, what were you doing to cause this? Exactly. (laughs) So the grisly summary of this terrible crime was that three people died of gunshot wounds. Mm -hmm. Four, if you count Bruce Pardo, but... Whatever. Two died from the fire alone. Four died from a combination of being shot and burned, which is horrifying. Mm-hmm. Bruce Pardo may have always had character flaws. He neglected the care of his son. He failed to help his baby mama to pay for the severe medical conditions for this little boy. He defrauded his employer and lost his job for it. He lied to his new wife. And maybe if Sylvia did take him for a ride, maybe she did take advantage of him during the divorce by living more extravagantly than even he was able to do. Mm-hmm. But I think on Sylvia's part, she's like, you're you're a terrible person. Yeah. I don't feel bad about taking you to the cleaners if you're a terrible person. And honestly, she's just taking what was rightfully hers. Honestly, that there's a reason that spousal support is a thing after a divorce because... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if she married him for his money. It doesn't really matter at this point. The court awarded her that money and she was legally entitled to it. Mm -hmm. Whether you could make an argument for or against it, it doesn't matter because it was what it was. But Bruce's anger was so unbridled and so destructive and just so cruel Mm -hmm. that he would shoot and burn, burn innocent people including children, some of them were unidentifiable because they had been so badly burned. At that point, he has lost any rights to sympathy or empathy. At that point, he's just a monster. 
Yeah. And nine members of that family are gone forever. But you remember little eight-year-old Katrina Mm -hmm. who answered the door and got shot in the face. Katrina's mom, Leticia, who got her out of the house along with Katrina's sister, also adopted her niece, whose mother had been killed, and worked tirelessly to make life as normal as possible for these three little girls. Mm-hmm. Leticia wanted the girls to continue celebrating the holidays, not to give power to their family's murderer by letting him become a hovering figure, this dark yeah. hovering figure in their lives. She wanted her daughters to live their lives with purpose. And Katrina took this message to heart. I get a little emotional about this part. <laughs> because, I mean, she was just eight, you know? Yeah. She went through so much at and age. Santa shot her. That's exactly what her mother was trying to not let become an issue. She still wanted them to celebrate the holidays, Mm -hmm. you know? She wanted them to look forward to Christmas. In 2018, Katrina decided to use her personal experience of having survived gun violence to help other people understand what it puts people through. It started when she decided to recruit students to join, and I know you'll remember this, the nationwide walkout of high school students that were protesting the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting. Yep. That had happened in February 2018. Mm -hmm. Because there was all across the nation. High school students just walked out of class Mm -hmm. for 17 minutes. One minute for each victim of Stoneman Douglas Massacre. Yep. Katrina and her close friend Bella Mares, who incidentally, and unrelatedly, but it's an interesting point, was the 100th Pasadena Rose Queen. Oh, okay. The two girls together created a video telling their peers, explaining their heartfelt reasons why it's their duty to stand together as a generation to demand change. Mm -hmm. Katrina said, I've lived through it and I'm still living my life as best I can. It's not stopping me. It's not instilling fear in me. I want that change. I don't want other families to go through what my family went through. She keeps her murdered family members close to her heart. She chooses to be positive. She says, I'm going to make a difference and stand up for something that needs to be changed. I'm fighting for them, meaning her family members. Mm -hmm. And now Katrina is all grown up. She's a third year undergrad at Tufts University, majoring in psychology, understandably. Mm -hmm. I can see why that would be interesting to her. She also is working as a research assistant in the Emotion, Brain, and Behavior Laboratory, which I think also is fitting and fascinating. Mm And I think that with her drive, intelligence, and amazing attitude, she's going to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. Either on a big scale or a small scale, but she's going to make a difference. I mean, yeah, she was already making a difference by like 16. Look at this gorgeous girl. You hear about somebody getting shot in the face. Yeah, and you think they're going to be destroyed. And she's gorgeous. Yeah, I don't... I just feel like she is so strong to come out of this experience and still face life with curiosity Mm -hmm. and positivity and to just be going out there and say, I want to change. I want to make a difference. Good for her. I just give people props, especially going through something like that. I mean, it's one thing if you survive something yourself and then you have to get past that and move on in your life. But to go through something like that where literally like half of your family died in front of you essentially and to still come out and not just like... Like lay down. <laughs> yeah, she did Ugh. not give up. And her mom deserves a lot of the credit because her mom really mm-hmm. carried those girls as far as she possibly could Ugh. towards making good lives for themselves. Am I crying at the end of the episode? <laughs> <laughs> it's important. Yeah, you know? I, I'm kind of 
kind of heard that story in the basic most form, but wow. Yeah, I know that it probably won't be a brand new story to people. I didn't know it was just something so petty, though. Well, that, I... and I wanted to share the update of oh. Katrina, that she was making something of her life. Basically, as a big flip-off to Bruce Pardo, that you didn't destroy me. Mm-hmm. You killed my family members, but you didn't destroy me, and I'm not going to let you hold me down. So good for her. <sighs> I was, I'm glad you got at least a positive spin at the end there because <laughs> halfway through the story, I was like, why are you doing this to me <laughs> again? What do you Your mean? last two oh, just one Joshua. Bs have been bloody awful. Oh, yeah, Joshua Lal was so hard. Yeah. I think I had to record that one like five times overall to keep repeating things. Well, that's because every time down. you weren't crying, I was crying. Then every time I wasn't crying, you started crying. <laughs> God, we're such a bunch of wimps. How and then we, we pulled it together and Puss would come in here screaming. So <laughs> I don't know what made us think we were going to do a true crime podcast. Well, Hopefully funny. people don't mind that we actually care about what we're talking about. Yeah, true. <laughs> we get Fair emotional. enough. I'd rather be a little emotional than be like, she doesn't give a shit. Well, <laughs> there are some people who can do their stories. Like, Case File is so professional, mm-hmm. but I don't know that he doesn't ever get choked up or get a frog in his throat yeah. and have to re-record a part. Or like journalists, they do that yeah. really well where they can just turn off the emotion for the time being. And I'm not a journalist. I did study it for a year and a half in college before mm-hmm. I turned to architecture. We're yeah. pretending to be journalists, I guess. I was going to say good story, but not a good story. How about you told that story well? Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. We will be getting a new episode out for this coming Friday. We mm-hmm. don't, at the time of recording, we don't know what no Friday clue. that will be, but it will be out on Friday because <laughs> we will always have one out on Friday. Yep. So if you're sad, don't worry. Friday will make you sadder. I'm sure about <laughs> at it. At first, um, and then we'll make you happy again. Hopefully. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> And as always, thanks for stopping by, crime family. And we will see you on Friday. Fair enough. See you Friday, guys. Bye. 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 I didn't like my bye. This is like a Muppet voice. Bye. Bye, guys. Meow. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) That Kermit. No, we won't be doing that anymore. Okay. Louder. Here, I'll do the. I don't know what happens yet, but. (laughs) It's a true crime podcast, so nothing good is going to happen. Excuse me. (laughs) Jalapeno. Oh, yeah, yummy. Mm. Yummy the second time. (laughs) The house was perfect for a large family celebration, blah, blah, blah. Another burp. It's the Coke. (laughs) The. (laughs) <laughs> Not that kind of cool. It's also possible that this was a... Oh, I already said that. Damn you. I just need a deep breath. <sighs> Unclog my lungs. Yeah, we're only crying from the jalapenos. She's going... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> oh, but I'm not a journalist, and I don't play one on TV. I kind of do play one on a podcast. <laughs> I have nothing else.